right, friends, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. It's Location Weekly. It's episode number 611. Uh, Aubriana, how's it going? It's going well. Glad to have you back. We had a fun show without you last week, but I'm sure you were enjoying some time away. Um, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was like sunny and warm and, you know, New Orleans, uh, you know, the you know the jambalaya is like, it just, it warms me up and makes me feel good, like a little Cajun spice. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, uh, it was nice. Um, and uh, thank you for uh, uh, filling in with Karsten last week and getting that done. It was great. We don't like to miss weeks here at uh, at the audience. So <laughs> we find a way to get it done. So and uh, yeah, we've got another another good show for you this week. Uh, four stories as per usual, and uh, we're going to kind of go a little bit all over the world and cover a range of things. So, but I think we're starting with a fun one. Uh, I'll let you do that, Abriana. Yeah, we are starting with a fun one, but it's kind of hard to go to a story about ice cream when it is snowing outside right now i am ready for the spring i'm sure many of you are feeling the same way if you are in the northeast like what's going on we're done with winter but here we are so mars is piloting this smartphone enabled on-demand ice cream delivery um so they're calling it like a store hailing initiative and this is happening right now or about to happen in hollywood california so um basically the products from mars ice cream think of M&M's, Snickers, which is my jam, and Twix brands, and they'll be available from a fleet of mobile stores, and this is provided by a company called Conjure. So consumers can just place their ice cream orders on their um, you know, smart devices, and then those can be delivered to a location within minutes. And then the checkout system really just lets customers pick up their ice cream and walk away. So that's kind of cool, right? They, um, they're piloting this starting in the spring, so very soon. And then they plan to expand it to other locations later this year. So this reminded me of a story that we talked about not too long ago around the ice cream line with Unilever, where they had this like uh, technology that would alert when it needed to be refilled um, and refilling those coolers in stores. So lots of like ice cream tech happening, you know, getting ready for that season. Um, And so I think this is cool. I like the idea, especially when you think of like a city such as LA or New York and just being able to call the ice cream truck to get what you want. You know, we have an ice cream truck that comes around our neighborhood and um, it's the first for us here in New York. And it's so fun. You know, we've got Mr. Softy that comes in the city and right outside where we are. And so they will drive around and play the music just like they did, you know, many years ago. And I actually have the guy's number. So whenever I have a bunch of kids over, I just call them like, hey, can you swing by this address? And, you know, they'll be like, how many kids you got? And I'm like, I got seven. They're like, I'm there. So they'll come over and, you know, I don't have seven that are my own. Let me just clarify. <laughs> like a bunch of kids playing in the yard at the moment, neighbors and stuff. Um, I was going to say, Abrana, you, you, know, you, you said <laughs> like, like in the old days, like how they used to drive around. People used to have seven kids too. So <laughs> yeah, that was back when eggs didn't cost like $2 a piece. Right. So Um, I think this is really cool. I love that, you know, they're taking this a step further. It's like automated. It's fun. Um, And people want ice cream. Like you got to get that Snickers ice cream bar. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, You know, it reminds me like we've covered on the show 
not recently, but you know, past years, uh, you know, similar types of uh, of uh, sort of mobile uh, vending machines, if you will, where uh, in China in particular, I think we've covered a couple stories where you could order up like essentially like a mobile 7-Eleven to show up, uh, you know, on wheels uh, to your neighborhood. You need something late at night. Um, and, um, you know, you can hail this kind of, you know, convenience store on wheels and comes and kind of delivers this stuff. But I, I think in the, in the ice cream, uh, world, this makes sense. I mean, you know, we all kind of like to have ice cream, I think, especially when it's warm out. And, you know, if you can kind of, you go to the grocery store and you buy your ice cream, and then by the time you get home, you know, maybe it's, you know, a little softer than you want it. Um, and then you throw it in the freezer and then it's kind of, kind of re, uh, you know, rehardens and it's not, it's not the best always. Right. So if you can kind of just get ice cream on demand and it's brought to your neighborhood, like the old school ice cream truck, uh, you know, uh, which works just as well. You, you have, if you have the number and you can, you can, you can call them up and, and get them there. I think that makes sense. But I, I guess what I like about this is that it's, um, you're getting those name brand products, right? You're getting the M&Ms and the Snickers and the Twix and, you know, those brands of ice cream bars that, you know, people are going to the grocery store to get uh, anyways. Um, you know, I'm with you. I'm still overall a fan of the, you know, the old school ice cream vendor. We also had one uh, in our neighborhood here uh, that comes around because I think there's some nostalgia to it. There's there's some uh, sense of supporting, you know, local business, local entrepreneurs as well, which I love to do. Um, but there's something to be said about, you know, these, you know, being able to hail a name brand ice cream, um, you know, vending uh, scenario to your area. And I like that it's, you know, they, it's set up through mobile, um, potentially that means then there's, you know, social media uh, connectivity that can be brought into this to amplify and to share. Um, they say that, you know, you can hail these things in as little as two minutes, uh, which seems mind boggling to me. Um, but if you're in California and if you're in Hollywood and you're going to be uh, able to try this out, then uh, I we want to hear more about it. So maybe one of our friends down there, maybe we can get Scott McNulty or somebody to you know hail one of these and uh, tell us what what he thinks. So Scott doesn't eat ice cream though; he's too healthy. <laughs> maybe after a long <laughs> surf or something. Yeah, send us a video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but I like it. I think it's it's really cool, and I like that Conjure's kind of built this technology that can be applied to multiple different, uh, you know, brands and you know varieties of uh, of different items that can be held, not just ice cream. Okay, uh, moving on from fun to more serious stuff that I think is is uh, something we need to talk about, and that is the digital product passport uh, initiative that the European Union has been working on for some time. Um, and this is a concept that they say, uh, hopefully will get approved uh, later this year um, uh, into law and will be required by 2030 uh, for retailers uh, in Europe. Um, and specifically what we're talking about here is, is that um, a requirement that um, all products uh, will have to have information uh, available through the product itself, embedded in the product itself, on on its origin, its composition, uh, you know where it was, you know uh, manufactured, how it was manufactured, 
you know, all these kinds of things um, in terms of data um, about sort of the traceability and the supply chain and kind of the, uh, the you know, the origins of the product itself. Um, and so this is something that's coming, it's coming into law. And so folks are starting to think about how they can get ready for that. And so one retailer in particular, Holzweiler, uh, which is a uh, Norwegian uh, fashion apparel brand, uh, they've teamed up with a company called Eon, E-O-N, um, out of New York, um, that is already sort of working on building technology to support this. So they they work on kind of building these kind of QR code-based technologies that are kind of sewn into the garments uh, that are all about traceability, transparency, and, you know, sort of compliance with, with the new digital passport, uh, digital product passport initiative. Um, so the way it works is, there's a QR code, you scan this, and then kind of we've been talking about with Web3 and Metaverse technology, there's essentially a digital twin of that product in, you know, sort of in a Metaverse type of it, uh, sense. And then uh, through that digital twin, you know, that sort of opens up the voice of the product and kind of you're able to understand, um, you know, it, the life cycle of this product, uh, even where it is post-purchase uh, and, and uh and, and then that can also lead to one of the things that they're going for here is not just understanding where it came from, but where it may go back in, in terms of sustainability and recycling, uh, you know, recycling that product, you know, into something else, you know, for resale or those types of things as well. Um, so I think this is really interesting. I, I find it fascinating that, you know, we have laws that are being developed right now in Europe around this. I assume we will have similar here in North America, not uh, far behind, but I think this is uh, something really interesting and I'm glad to see that there's technology companies out there getting ready to support, you know, facilitating this and brands like Holzweiler that are jumping on top of this and uh, taking advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's aspects of this that I like. So I like the idea of being able to maybe trace and verify the identity of something that one takes a claim that it is maybe made in a more sustainable way or in a green way. And I think that that like verifying that veracity is great. Um, also, when you think of luxury goods, being able to just verify that it is legit and it's not a knockoff, I think is really important as well. Where I think this law falls short is that there's a lot of upcycling. There's a lot of like taking pieces um, from different things in different ways that people might do from like a mom and pop shop or think of like, you know, the flea market or whatever, where you have people that are kind of taking and reusing and recycling things. And I think that makes it really complicated to, to enforce and also to be able to sell things at an economical uh, price. Now, from a technology standpoint, I think this is really interesting. I like that they are thinking about this um, ahead of the time that this law goes into action. Um, and I would assume that as we see this further develop, there's going to be easy ways to onboard this for, um, you know, like more one-off fashion designers that are kind of making uh, bespoke items that that needs to, to be able to do this at a bigger scale. But again, that puts like a cost and I think a further burden on those that are trying to get started. So tech aside, like not exactly a fan, but um, in terms of, you know, being able to actually trace and confirm sustainability and veracity, I like it. 
Yeah, and I think one of the other things, so, so the same technology company that's kind of powering this Eon, they also have a product called Instant Resale. And uh, they've one of the brands that's using that is Chloe, the, the luxury uh, brand Chloe uh, for digital ID. And one of the pieces around that is this sort of ownership certificate piece, um, right? So when it comes to resale of a, of a product on a secondary marketplace or things like that, you know, there is that sort of proof of, of ownership and veracity of that. Um, so I think from that point of view, you know, it makes sense. Um, I think, you know, when you get into non-luxury goods and things like that, and, you know, you get into, you know, sort of more casual marketplaces, you know, be it, you know, garage sales, flea markets, those kinds of things. Um, I'm not sure that that's necessarily what people are looking for or the cost that, that comes with that. But the reality is, is like, if these are, you know, coming into law, then, you know, we're going to have to get behind it. And the interesting thing is, is, you know, this brand Holzweiler that I talked about earlier, which is Norwegian, uh, in Norway, apparently already, uh, you're not allowed to say that you're sustainable unless you, you can document it. Um, and so that's, that's the baseline. And, and I think it's, it's interesting, um, you know, to think about where, you know, where this is going from a, a European uh, union point of view and potentially what that means for the rest of them. Yep, for sure. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm going back to the food and drinks. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? And, um, you know, an interesting question PepsiCo is asking is like, what does your brand sound like? And they're trying to figure out what do their brands sound like? So they have been working on developing a series of audio logos. Yes, you heard me right that the company believes really represents their brand. So the goal is to improve um, the overall like brand recall, ad recall, when consumers hear specific sounds that they can recognize and um, identify with the brand without seeing uh, the actual name of the product or hearing the name of the product, right? So they're working with a company, it's called Veritonic, and this is an audio intelligence company um, and then another called Made Music Studio, which is a global sonic branding agency to help, uh, you know, with this, this idea that they have. So they gave some examples, which I thought were very interesting. Like, hey, we know what Doritos looks like. We want to know what does it sound like? You know, what does it sound like? What is like this crunch sound? What is, is it a whip crunch? They said. Um, and then they're starting to add that specific sound to the radio, the television, the podcast ads, and it would be consistent. Um, so if your brand says a sentence, like, what does it sound like? So I like that they're thinking about this. And they also decided they would map the sounds to various phases of the consumer journey. So maybe when you're opening the bag of Doritos or when you're um, actually about to eat one, pulling one out of the bag, you know, just different phases of kind of what's happening. Um, and some data that I found very interesting is that Veritonic verifies that the sounds um, elicit the correct emotions. So like they said that they found that 23% they found a 23% higher recall of the brand um, that these sounds were able to generate. 70% of 18 to 24 year olds found it disruptive in a positive way. Um, and 12% gave a higher appeal on the overall brand score. So very interesting They've already started testing this out with some of their other brands like um, Tostitos in a recent campaign used this type of um, auditory logo. Um, and they're using this across their audio platforms like Spotify and Pandora. Um, and then, you know, they're also taking this like, um, I don't know, they're, they're trying to say like, how do we follow this by Doritos, Tostitos, Fritos, Ruffles? 
you know, kind of making the same exercise for popcorners, like the newer brands, which my kids love. Like, I think that it's really interesting, but there are a lot of senses that we have besides just visually seeing an ad or just hearing them somebody talk about it. So I love that this is like playing on that audio sensory that we've been using, but in a very new way. I think about like memories throughout my like upbringing. And a lot of times I'll correlate a certain smell um, or a certain, you know, maybe sound of something that was happening, um, you know, with like my grandmother cooking in the kitchen or something like that. So I think that this is, there's a lot of science that there is to tie this here. Um, and I just think that it's like wonderful. There's a company that has a technology that's out there providing this platform to create this. And then I need to know, Asif, what is your brand sound? <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I don't have one yet, but I'm going to have to get these guys to create one. Um, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is fantastic. I think this is, you know, um, you know, as you were talking about these guys, and I was I had read this story uh, earlier in the week, um, you know, I was I started thinking about brands that I know that have sounds that I can associate already. And like the two that popped into my mind here in, in Toronto, where I am, is the Toronto subway system the transit system when you get on or off the train there's this three ding chime that they play and like you just know like it's distinctive toronto subway the door is closing you know chime kind of thing and it's very distinctive um and so like you know that that's the toronto uh transit system and then the other one is the the lottery corporation here you know when you go and take your your ticket in to scan it to see if you've you know won uh anything you know, and when you win, it, it has this very distinctive uh, like tone that it plays again, you know, with a little phrase, catchphrase or whatever. Um, so it's it's uh, I yeah, there's a lot of power and emotion that, you know, kind of gets drug, you know, can, can be you know summoned, if you will, like, you know, through these types of audio tags. So I love this. And I like how they're taking their brands, you know, going across their portfolio of brands from Doritos and Tostitos and, you know, all these things that they have and figuring out, you know, what is the sound for, for each of those. And, and, and even like different parts of that life cycle of when you first open the bag or, you know, those kinds of things uh, tying into specific actions, I think is, is really interesting. So yeah, super excited about this. This is like the kind of thing I would love to have these guys or case study here with Pepsi and, and, um, Ver, uh, Veritonic, you know, at our Retail Local event uh, coming up in, in June at Mall of America. I think this would be fantastic sort of topic yeah. and, and new technology to kind of showcase uh, at that event. So I'll, I'll, you guys will be hearing from me soon uh, <laughs> to see if we can get you out there. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, phenomenal stuff. I'm really, really excited about it. I think it has a lot of potential. It reminded me, I feel like Pringles almost was the first to do this years ago where they had the slogan, which was, I think once you pop, you can't stop, right? Something like that. And then they had the sound of like popping open the lid and then the crunch of the the Pringle. Like, I feel like they kind of did this before this was actually a scientific thing. So um, now everybody's like, okay, wait, there's something here more than we ever thought about. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Well, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think there's, I, I don't remember a, a specific Pringle sound. Like, I think there's that pop or whatever, but yeah. Makes sense, right? We, we all have those associations that we can think about. So or our grandmother's cooking. Okay, final story. 
So uh, we're going to jump over now to uh, into China, and we're going to talk about uh, well, China and Japan, I guess. Uh, we're going to talk about a company called Maps Map Exus. Uh, I think is how you say it. It's M A P X U S, and uh, these guys are um, uh, a company over uh, in the APAC region, and they've recently uh, secured some big investment from Kawasaki Heavy Industries. Um, and out of Japan, and now they've announced a joint venture with a company called Noise Chain, and Noise is spelled N-O-I-Z or Z, depending on where you are, um, which is uh, part of a Hong Kong company called Meridica Financial Group. And anyways, all this to say is these two companies <laughs> have teamed up to co-create something called Honio, H-O-N-I-O, which they're describing as the world's first indoor location-based gamified metaverse. That's a long phrase, but uh, I like what they're doing. Uh, so essentially, um, the Noise Guys are a company that's in the sort of uh, blockchain um, uh, in metaverse space, and Map Map Exus is is in sort of the indoor location uh, space. And so what they're doing is. They built this sort of digital twin of real life shopping malls uh, and landmarks uh, in this Honeo metaverse environment. And so using indoor mapping technology and positioning technology, the folks who have the Honeo app on their phone, and, and this is driven through app that they're using as opposed to uh, desktop browsers or um, you know glasses or things like that. Um, as, as app users are kind of, you know, walking around this environment, they're rewarded with free uh, art elements, uh, uh, which they call drops. Uh, and the more time they spend in the physical stores, the more uh, uh, art drops that they get. Um, and these art elements can then be converted into NFTs, uh, hence the noise piece of this and the, the blockchain piece of this. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting because it's 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 truly bridging physical real world real world shopping mall environments with a digital twin in the metaverse. And then as you interact with you know the stores and the elements in the metaverse, you're earning rewards and things that can then be converted into NFTs or in fact rewards for shopping in the physical stores. So you're kind of you're you're bridging both of these, and the more time you spend. Uh, in that, you know, essentially, you know, through this platform, they're driving traffic to the physical store environments, uh, enhancing marketing analytics as well, uh, and they can report across kind of both activity in both environments. Um, so they're um, they're they're launching this initially uh, in uh, in the uh, Chinese uh, market, um, and um, they're aiming to have a hundred million users of the app uh when when they uh, launch this in in just a you know a couple months so i think this is really interesting i think it, you know sort of that intersection of creating you know complete digital twins of, of physical world shopping environments uh and then looking at sort of the intersection between the two and how you drive track traffic back and forth and then you know having a rewards or gamified piece on top of that uh to incent people i think makes a ton of sense yeah, I think they definitely know the the culture um, in, in those areas, and they know that this will have a high adoption rate. You know, we think of like how Niantic did this, 
uh, with Pokemon Go. And now this is like another incentives-based, incentive-based loyalty program to be somewhere in the real world. And they have large um, goals. You know, they want to be able to cover, it says, I think around like 2,000 landmarks by the end of this year and another and 5,000 buildings in, in 2024. So um, I think that there's like a lot of opportunity to do this. It, it will be interesting to see how this um, is reacted to by other cultures and and like, you know, outside of, of Asia, um, if this is something that would pick up as well. Um, I think that like our consumer behavior is slightly different sometimes, but I do think that we saw what happened with Pokemon Go. And so I think there's a, an opportunity to do that here once again, um, once they kind of test this out in those environments. So exciting stuff. Yeah. And, and I think the interesting thing for me is, 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 you know, they're, they're trying this and they're, you know, I think it is innovative and they're, you know, looking at new ways to leverage, you know, this web three technology. And at the same time, you know, still drive traffic to the physical environment. It's not an either or, it's a, how do we blend these things together? And I like that. So I expect, you know, if we see success out of this type of an initiative, then, you know, you'll see the Westfields of the world, the Simons of the world, you know, who own physical mall properties, you know, you know, make investments in these kinds of spaces and technologies and perhaps, you know, create their own versions of this as well. So I think there's a lot of potential here. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Uh, a wide array of things there. Um, and uh, we thank you for listening and watching. And we'll be back next week with another episode um, of uh, Location Weekly. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.